Welcome to another round of Boardroom or Miro Board. Today we talk retrospectives with Agile coach Maria. Let's go. First question. You've spent two hours in a team retro, but the only input you've heard is Dave's. Boardroom or Miro Board? Boardroom. In Miro, Dave can't hog the space because everyone can add thoughts anonymously, online at the same time. Correct. Next. You need the team to act on feedback fast, so you turn all those retro notes into JIRA tasks instantly. Miro all the way. And I can assign those tasks to teammates. You're nailing this. Now, you see hundreds of sticky notes from the retro. A real mess. But you organize them into five themes in just seconds. Miro, I basically get back an entire hour when I use its AI tools for clustering. And she's done it. Join over 60 million people running actually enjoyable and actionable retros in Miro. Get your first three boards free at Miro.com. That's M I R O.com. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. This is Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network in conjunction with the Sampson Family Foundation, striving to uplift, empower, and educate the communities we live in. Now here's Ralph and your host, Mac McDonald. Welcome into the Winner's Circle Network and Center Court for another weekend, another week in basketball on the horizon. We'll get to that at some point, but I, I immediately going to jump into this pool of Isaiah Thomas's headline, and Ralph knows what I'm talking about. Ralph, it's good to see you. Isaiah paid you a tribute, but uh, you got a lot of feedback on this tribute he paid you last week. I, I, I was surprised that he had something going on like that. And me and Isaiah, you know, Mac, we go way back to the 1979 high school class, Pan American Games with Bobby Knight. So I appreciate his words and comments. Uh, Tells me I was maybe before my time, right? Well, anyway, and so for people, I'll bring people up to speed. Uh, There was a headline on a website that I found. Isaiah Thomas might have pulled a hamstring with a stretch on his latest Giannis Antetokounmpo comparison. And, of course, it was a comparison with Ralph Sampson. A a four-and-a-half-minute, five-minute segment on Turner Network and Isaiah with a little play-by-play mixed in, these were just some of his kind words for one seven-four center from Harrisonburg, Virginia. Here's the alley oop to Ralph from Magic Johnson. Well, what a joy for a guy like Magic Johnson to lay the ball up there and know that it's not going to be missed. So we're, we're in Indianapolis, and I won a championship in Indiana. Larry Bird coming home. You got two Hoosier legends coming back to play in Indianapolis. I'll never forget, you know, Magic and Ralph Sampson, they just took over the game. It was one thing to have Ralph Sampson being so amazing himself as a player in his second year, but it was just totally, totally, totally unfair to pair him with Magic Johnson. 
that was just part of the glowing uh, tribute to Ralph and his MVP performance in 85 in Indianapolis, 24 and 10. And if I'm not mistaken, Magic had 15 assists, and I bet 14 of them were to you. <laughs> well, you know, Mac, I won the MVP at that All-Star game that right. year. And I said, I said, after the game, Magic, you, you get half of this because you passed me the ball, but uh, that was a fun game to play in. I was excited to play in my second year in the NBA. And and, and, and just think about it, I could have played, I could have came out of school uh, and when the year James Worthy went to the Lakers mm-hmm. and played with Magic, and that could have been all that. So we had flashbacks at that point in time, like, man, I should have came out, and uh, the rest would have been history. But uh, being able to play with Magic in that setting was, uh, was fun. The biggest thing, Mac, I had, uh, I think the other started with Adrian Dantley or somebody like that. So Adrian did not want, because he was very slow of foot, he did not want to guard Julius Irving. So I had to guard <laughs> Julius Irving that game. And you can see sometimes in that game how like Julius would give me finger rolls and I try to block his shot, stuff like that. But that was a fun, fun all-star game. In this show that Isaiah Thomas, who likens Giannis, the Greek freak, to to Ralph Sampson. He just talked about Giannis being in his ninth NBA season. He's not going to turn 27 until early December. But this article went on to say Ralph was uh, was awesome in this run it back segment. He said Ralph did have an outstanding career, but the knee injury during his fourth season brought his stardom to a halt. That's uh, I'm paraphrasing. And uh, but anyway, it was a, a very complimentary comparison and probably not too far off because I know where Isaiah was going with the the comparison as far as two big guys who have a lot of skills, you know, in your heyday, I think you could have held your own with Giannis. So like you said, he's only 27 and been in the league nine years already. Yeah. Something like that. I mean, that. come on. Nine he came, season, you know, yes. I could have came out of high school, but, <laughs> but you know, the, the deal is, he, you know, he, he's free range. He can shoot threes. Face it. He doesn't post up that much. He, he didn't have to play against artist Bill Moore and, Robert Parrish and Kevin McHale had to, had to get beat up and get posted on, right? That's yeah. that point. But I, li- I love the comparison come from Isaiah. He did text me that information. And I think, I mean, we call him Zeke. We go way back. But, uh, you know, I wish I could have played in this era because uh, it's been a lot of fun just to come down the court uh, and run and jump and shoot threes and just kind of hang on, have fun because the day's game was totally different than when I played. Yeah, a lot of fun. We had uh, we had Isaiah on about nine months ago. Well, yes, we, we, make, did, yeah. we make the transition to baseball and a world title for one Atlanta Braves team. And that means Terry Pendleton is our guest who spent a little time with the Atlanta Braves after being with the Cardinals. And we're going to talk with Terry Pendleton. So that's Center Court and the Winter Circle Network. And we will continue right after this stay with us to get into sports casting you need experience just to get your foot in the door i can't tell you how many times in my career somebody will ask me how do i get into your business how do i become a sportscaster the first thing i ask is what have you done do you have any experience and the answer is normally nothing yet it's because they couldn't find a program that provided the real world experience that you need to get started so i set out to create a program designed for the next wave of sportscasting talent And my partner was an obvious one. Full Sail University, great track record in entertainment and media, great alumni group, and the ability to evolve as the industry changes. We're offering a bachelor's degree that combines the professional expertise that my fellow sportscasters and I have built our careers on with the technologies shaping the world of sports. To succeed in this business, you have to be ready for what's next. But the core of great sportscasting I don't think will ever change. And this program brings it all together.
believe me, we used to say dancing with the baseball. Where it goes, you go, but you have to have quick feet to do it. You're playing second base, you have to have quick feet to turn the double play. You have to have quick feet to backhand the ball. So if you can't dance, learn to dance. If you can dance, continue to dance. It will be a big plus on that infield for you. You're listening to Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player, Ralph Sampson. Once again, here's Ralph and Mac. Welcome into the Winter Circle Network with Ralph Sampson and a very special guest today, one Terry Lee Pendleton, a former third baseman in Major League Baseball. He played with the Cardinals, the Braves. He spent time with the Marlins, the Reds, the Kansas City Royals. But this guy is an institution, great with players, great with fans. He knew what baseball was all about. Ralph, this is one special guy. I, I work on the, uh, how can I put it, on the on the outskirts that, as a baseball, a special assistant baseball operation. So I kind of try to stay out of the middle of their game there. I do a lot of my stuff with the uh, managers, coaches, and players at the minor league level. I do cross paths with the big leaders and, and do some things and keep in touch and talk to them about different things. But when it comes to celebrating on the field and in the clubhouse with them, I allow them to do their thing because I've been in their position before and I know how special it is. Yeah, I mean, it's special to get to that level, but I mean, very rare that, you know, you can stay on that, that, that level that long. How do you do that? I mean, how do you even go about that mentality-wise? Well, well, first of all, you have to get yourself mentally. Everybody say, well, physically, you know, you got to be in great physical shape. Yes, you do. But, you know, even playing basketball on the 82-game schedule you guys have, it takes more to you mentally than it does physically. You know, your body keeps going because it knows to keep going. But in order to be at your best, you have to be mentally prepared every single day in order to perform at that level. So it all starts. People say, well, it starts in spring training. No, it starts in the wintertime in, in February, uh, January and February when you start preparing yourself to go to spring training and getting your body in shape for this long haul and getting your mind in shape for this long haul. And once you get going, it's a little easier because of the fact that you have a routine and you know what's necessary, what your teammates expect out of you every day. So you have to mentally make sure that you get yourself every day prepared for that mental grind of that nine or 12 or 11 or how many innings you're going to have to play that particular night. So I think the biggest part of that is mentally preparing yourself and different people have different ways of going about it. Some of them will before game time, I'll go put on some headphones and listen to music. Others will play solitaire by themselves. You know, nowadays they have pool tables and ping pong tables in the clubhouse to get you relaxed. So there's a number of ways to go about doing it. Uh, you just have to find the way that's best for you to mentally get yourself ready for that game. I'm glad you mentioned the ping pong table. So the evolution of sports, right, especially in the NBA. So we, we flew commercial, 6 o'clock in the morning. Only eight people in the first class got to sit all crunched up. Uh, we had to go to Luby's cafeteria, whatever, to eat on our own, et cetera. We didn't have chefs and people. How did it change from when you played baseball? Because I know you had the clubhouse. You got to stay there all day long to the yeah. day's play. When I came into the league, there was no meals at the ballpark. I remember Whitey Herzog saying, hey, if you want something to eat, after the game, have your wife or your girlfriend or whoever cook you something to eat. Wow. There will be none of that here at the ballpark. So, so that's how far it's gone. Now they have uh, two or three chefs in the clubhouse. Um, they, can, they prepare meals for them, healthy meals for them every day. There are also meals there that they will cook for them. If there's something one of the guys particularly wants, if they have it there, they will cook it for them. So they have that luxury of doing so. You know, a lot of guys will show up at the ballpark at noon, so they have lunch and dinner. At the ball game, they have lunch, a pregame meal before the, the game and something after the game. So they, 
because of the, the time schedule too. You know, most of them, right. uh, as I did, you know, you go to bed two or three in the morning because you're trying to just wind down from that ball game. So right. you're literally, your first meal might be at noon that, that next day. So they'll do that at the ballparks a lot of time. And a lot of times they'll have a, a meal after batting practice and all. And then after the game's over, they'll have another meal. But uh, it is uh, it is much nicer. Let me say that. A lot of advantages that uh, a lot of things that are in their favor that we didn't have coming through. Didn't you were kind of live that transition, though, right? I mean, when baseball and sports was really starting to explode, didn't you kind of live that transition? Yeah, I did. I got to see it. You know, there were never uh, meals at the ballpark in the morning. I got to see in the late mid to late 90s, they started cooking breakfast at the ballpark in the morning on day games. And so I did get to see some of that. And guys couldn't believe that uh, we were fortunate enough to have a hot dog after the game if that was around. <laughs> uh, they just didn't understand a hot dog. What are you talking about? You know, uh, the younger kids didn't understand that. But yes, I got to see it evolve from not having anything. In fact, when I got to the big leagues, I think what we had there was, uh, we had uh, Vest Soda, which was a big company in St. Louis. Yeah. They had the different flavors of sodas. And we had that. We had uh, Coke and Sprite. And we had Snickers bars. That was it. You know, of course, after the game, I'm not a drinker, but the boys had beers there, you know, for after the game or whatever. So there, that was our big deal there at the ballpark. We we're lucky to get a Snickers bar if we could, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I can remember it. My, my first year in the NBA, every had beer in the locker room. And mm -hmm. guys would have a six-pack cool before they get there and the manager would get back <laughs> and my first stint when I got drafted going to Houston I went into uh, this club whatever everybody would go over there and welcome us to the city and I see like five of my teammates smoking cigarettes like okay I gotta play with these guys <laughs> it was totally different <laughs> yeah well I had a few teammates that in between innings would go up the tunnel and smoke a cigarette or two yeah in those days and age, that's what worked for them too believe it or not Terry you had such a wonderful career uh you know with St. Louis of course 91 the MVP season but what was it about the game maybe growing up with baseball what was it about baseball that you embraced how did you get so connected to the game itself I think the first game I literally got to play or baseball wise I moved from uh, South Central LA to Oxnard California mm -hmm. and there was I, I got to play no organized sports I moved when I was nine years old so I didn't play any organized sports I got to play my first organized sport I think I was uh, 10 years old I got to play organized I was that kid they put in right field I got one hit all year. I remember like it was yesterday. It was a double over the first base bag. I remember like it was yesterday. I kid you not. And I went home crying after every game. I got in the back seat, mom and dad sitting there with me. And I went home crying, telling them how I wasn't going back out there. I was embarrassing myself. I was embarrassing them. And it's not going to happen anymore. And my mom and dad kept encouraging me. Hey, you know, you've never played all these other kids that played before. Um, you're going to get better at it. But I have to give my god brother, Victor Anger, and his family, uh, uh, Wallace and Mary Anger, credit because uh, Coach Anger was my first baseball coach. Mm -hmm. And he was very encouraging, no matter how good or bad it looked. And it was bad, trust me. He was very encouraging. So baseball wasn't really my love. Basketball was my love. I mean, I spent 90% of my time on a basketball court, in a gym, on the side, in a park, wherever it was. That was my love. But uh, you know, everybody grew, and I kept being 4'11", 5'1", 5'2". My, my, my godbrother comes back from his 
freshman year in high school. He left at 5'10". He come back 6'4". And I'm like, what is going on here? <laughs> and if I grew an inch, I was doing something special, you know? So I kind of realized early that basketball wasn't going to be my love, especially leaving high school at 5'6". Mike, we got the reverse story because baseball was my first love. Right. I could, oh, I could wow. pitch. I could do all that. kind. Of, I didn't like basketball because we could only score 16 points. And, and a pick in the game, in the struggling game, I had 16 points in the first quarter. And I would have to block shots and rebound, throw the ball back out. So I love baseball. But when you grow in so fast, three or four inches every day, I mean, your arm gets a little lax. You start hitting batters. And then they move me to first mm-hmm. base, and I would catch the ball with my ungloved hand. My mom said, you, you got to do it differently. They move me to left field, like, ain't nothing. I don't hear coming to left field. <laughs> so let me go into basketball. So I shift You're bored. You're bored. <laughs> Oh, believe me, I understand it. If I had happier height, Ralph, I think you'd have heard about me playing basketball. But there I you go, there you go. Had a serious vertical leap and the whole deal. I, I mean, I was five six in high school, dunking. You know, I, you know, I, I, I pursued baseball because of the fact that nobody really took interest to in me in basketball. And in all honesty, growing up in Southern California, playing baseball, you think I would have got more looks than I did in baseball, and I never did. Lane hits it. What a stop by Pendleton. He got him for the out. That was spectacular. And that ball gone by with the way Lonnie Smith was playing. That would have been a double and maybe an RBI. I appreciate the fans. They jumped on board when we started doing our thing, and and, uh, they really showed us how much they loved and appreciate the way we worked hard and, and went out in the field and played. The Winner's Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation present Center Court with Ralph Sampson. Uplift, empower, educate. Welcome back to Center Court on the Winter Circle Network. Special guest today, Terry Pendleton, formerly the Cardinals, Atlanta Braves, uh, played a little bit in Kansas City. And, and Terry, if you were to stand up and tell a team, whether it's a youth team or a major league team, and you put on a whiteboard, here are the keys to success and winning. How would you detail a winning organization? What does it take? Wow. It takes uh, – uh, <laughs> that's tough. It, if, if you're talking about just uh, an uh, everyday organization, just say mm-hmm. a high school team, then it takes good coaching. It takes good work ethic. It takes a, a great attitude, a willingness to want to win. And that means going out regardless if I had a rough day in the classroom, I had a rough day at home, I had a rough day elsewhere. Once I get to the baseball filler, once I get to the classroom, I'm going to give you everything I have. Now, when you're talking about a major league team, mm-hmm. you've got to give – scouting their props for going out finding these kids with talent you've got to give the minor league managers coaches special assistants um all those guys their credit for working with these kids and helping them get to each level that they've gotten to and getting them to the point where the big league manager can trust them because that has a lot to do with this game you could talk about how much talent kids have but when you get to the big leagues and you go out in left field and that manager looks out there and goes, oh, man, this is a ninth <laughs> inning and we got to catch everything and I still have him in the game. <laughs> uh, you know? and, and, and this is real. This is no joke. This is real, you know. So you got to have that trust factor from that manager. You got to know that that kid that you're bringing out on that field will get the job done for you. So, so a big part of that is a trust factor. But you gain all those things in your work ethic. I tell kids now, there's a couple of things you can control, no matter how things may look or how things may, you feel they may be going on the field. When you go on that, you step on that field every day, you can hustle, number one. 
and you can have an awesome attitude. It doesn't matter what happened on the phone before you got to the ballpark with your wife, your girlfriend, mom, dad. <laughs> you can always have a positive and work positive work ethic and positive attitude on that field. And those things, because you have talent, there's a lot of kids in the world that have baseball talent. There are mm -hmm. a lot of kids that have more talent than I had. But my mindset and my attitude and my work ethic got me where I wanted to get to. And you have to have those things in order to be successful. Coaches, no place. I don't care if it's basketball, football, baseball. They're not going to put up with it if you don't have those, those work ethic, ethics to get you going and, and uh, get to the spot where they feel you should be. Yeah, I think that statement is very true in sports because I've, I've seen better basketball players on the street than in the NBA. But the <laughs> yes. attitude wasn't quite right. And yes. the mindset wasn't quite right. They wasn't tough enough to go do it the right way. So that's the first exactly piece of right. that. But, and then I thought, take that back. I was watching the, the World Series and, and the, the Braves left fielder. You know, people don't understand the baseball. There's an art to it, right? There, that's a sheer mm -hmm. art to decision-making in baseball. If I'm in the left field, the ball was hit out there. He threw the ball to third going home. Should have threw it to second to get the second base guy out, but they scored a run. How, how does that work when you're in the field? You got to make split decisions, accurate decisions, and accurate throws. The third baseman of the, of the Braves was amazing the other night, right, because he caught a couple balls. And, I mean, it was just crazy how they react to it and how they just jump on that bandwagon. We call it getting on a roll in the NBA. We're on a roll. Let's, mm. feed, let's feed that guy, you know, so forth right. and so on. Baseball right. a little harder because you're not playing up and down, but a couple of those guys, the first man, he hit like two or three home runs. He was just in that zone. What does that feel like? And what decision making do you have to make to get there? Well, well, here's the bigger thing. You have to already have it mapped out uh, as a left fielder, as a third baseman. Okay. There's a runner first. There's runner second. The game a lot of times will dictate how you go about playing. it. Uh, there's a run on first, the ball's hit to my left or ball hit to my right. If the ball gets by me, you run all these scenarios through your head before the ball's even hit. Yeah. That's part of that brain that we talk about in order to prepare yourself to be ready, have that, have that mental and physical toughness to be ready to go each and every night. You've got to talk these scenarios through to yourself so you already know it. When you're the hitter, when you're standing on deck and there's a hitter at the plate and there's a runner at first base, you already run the scenarios through your head. If he gets a base hit and there's runners at first and third, this is what I need to do at the plate. If he gets a base hit and there's runners at first and second and no outs, this is what I need to do at the plate. If he strikes out and the runner's still second, this is you run them all through your head while you're standing on deck. People think most guys are standing there lollygagging around. <laughs> no, believe me. No, no. Doing, if they're doing it right, they're getting themselves ready for their at-bat because they have an idea already how this pitcher may attack them, but they have to have an idea what they're going up there to do also. Yeah, baseball gives you time, Ralph. You can't think about that post-game buffet. I can't hear that, 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 that Terry no, was talking about. <laughs> no, uh-uh, uh-uh. Um, the great thing about the Braves, and I know it was well-written and well-covered, uh, Terry, was – you know, what happened in July. And when you guys got, you know, Rosario and Duvall and Soler, when that happened in July, you know, you put together that nine game winning streak in August, when that all happened, that was your scouting and that was your GM, right? So that made a huge difference in what the Braves organization was able to do, correct? Yes, there's no doubt about that. And Alex is, is, Anthropolis has spoke of it many a times that, you know, the one thing that he never wants to do again when his team looks like it has an opportunity to be successful is not make some decisions at the, at the uh, deadline to help the ball club. He said he felt like he did that in Toronto one year and it really sunk the team because the team felt like he didn't go out and make an effort to make their team better. 
Well, this year he definitely wanted to do so, and he did so adding those guys to it. But, you know, in talking with Brian Snicker right before then, uh, we had talked and, and we were – well, he was a little concerned that, God, these guys haven't started playing. They haven't started playing. And I told him, I said, Snit, listen, here's the best thing about this whole deal right now. <laughs> Our division, they're playing their rear ends off. And they're only three games ahead of us. And we were terrible. <laughs> we have not played well all year long. So here's the deal. You know how baseball goes. Once you get these boys going, and they will get going because we're very talented. Once they get going, we'll be fine. He goes, well, I kind of feel that way too, but ooh, I sure hope we're right. <laughs> you know, so and, and the kids got going, and and as we all know, the rest is history. Nobody in the world expected us with all the injuries that we have with one of our best pitchers and Mike Soroka going down and one of our, the best players in baseball and Ronald Acuna going down that we would win a world series without those two guys, you know? Yes. Uh, so that speaks a lot of all those kids that bunched together, got their themselves together and wanted to show the world that they believed in each other. Alex making the deals that he made, our minor league uh, managers, coaches, uh, working with those kids down there pitching wise and defensively wise to bring kids back and forth to help the ball club and our scouts that went out and saw that these four guys that Alex picked up could really help our ball club. And they truly did. In fact, one of them, we got Kansas city was willing to give away and he ended up being the MVP of the world series. So that tells you a lot about our scouting department, our uh, president of baseball operations and general manager and what, and, and what they saw in our ball club and what they saw in these other kids that could help our ball club. In baseball, I mean, I went to the Padres, uh, spring training uh, one year, whatever. I mean, it, it's amazing to watch how all that works from a scouting standpoint and then uh, and how they look at it. But in basketball now, they have all these analytics. Do they have that in baseball where, I mean, you and I, you and I, we, we, we don't play in that analytic world because I would not know how to operate. <laughs> oh, yes. it's. Uh, I would probably say it's 70% or more analytical. And it depends on the team you're with. And, and it depends on what you're looking at. Uh, you know, am I looking at a pitcher and the way his velocity is, the way his spin rate is, or whatever the case may be, different teams will look at uh, different analytics for that. Uh, looking at hitters and their velocity off the bat, the way the ball is hit off the bat and their uh, projection when they hit the ball. All these things are looked at. The analytics are great. Don't get me wrong. There are some things that really and truly help a ball club. I have nothing against analytics because of the fact that it is in the game. It's going to be in the game. Whether it's basketball, football, baseball, you're going to have it. So learn what you can about it. Hopefully you'll learn some things that will help these young kids get better at it. Um, but I always look at that computer and say, you know what? That computer can't <laughs> tell me about Ralph Sampson's heart. It can't yeah. tell me about Terry Pendleton's heart. Mm -hmm. It can't tell me whether he's going to bow up with the bases loaded in the ninth inning or he's going to walk up there looking like, he, you know, a deer in headlights. Right, right. Uh, that can't be said about the analytics. So, And they may have a time where they can prove it on the computer that, hey, this is how we know. Look at what he's done these 10 times and look at what he's done these 10 times. But uh, yeah. it's, it's in the game, and it's in the game to stay in some way, shape, or form, I will say that. Yeah, it's in the game to stay. The NBA, I mean, we, we, we have it, and, and they say, okay, great, analytics. You should shoot from this spot. You can only shoot you, you nine out of ten that spot. But the tenth time you did, don't tell you, like, LeBron James or somebody else guarding you. It doesn't tell you who's guarding you. <laughs> <laughs> have to switch on you. Like, okay. Well, it's, it's kind of that way in baseball, too, you, you know, but they'll base that on the guys that throw 95 and above and 90, 94 and below and this is where a guy normally hits a ball off a, off a guy that throws this hard, and this is where he hits a ball off a guy throwing this hard. And a lot of it, it shows up pretty good. But, you know, situations determine where guys hit the ball. 
you know, like I said, the score on the scoreboard determines how guys attack the baseball. So some of those things the analytics can't tell you. Yeah. All right. So, Terry, before we go to break, so analytics feel for the game, 80% analytics, 20% feel, 70% analytics, 30% feel. What is it? It's hard for me to sum that up because here's where I have a problem. And, and you know, I'm old school, as everybody knows. When I look out on the field and let's say our team has played the Dodgers eight times and we're mm-hmm. playing the Dodgers for the ninth game right now. And the Dodgers have the exact same lineup they've had out there. And we've got the exact same pitchers that we pitched against them before in those other eight games. And I look out there at my defense and every one of them are pulling a card out of their back pocket. Ozzie Smith will look at me and go, go, you better get your butt in position, and I shouldn't have to tell you where to go either. That's exactly right. So those are the things we've had to do. But the analytics has, in in my opinion, has helped our kids not have to think about what they need to do defensively and in some ways taking the pressure off of them because if they don't have themselves in position, this is where the card told me to play. Uh-huh. In my game, when I came through, I had to have my butt in position. And if I wasn't and that ball was hit where I should have been, I had to go in there and answer to my manager and my teammates. So, therefore, I'm going to do my homework and make sure my butt's in position when that ball's hit. And as I was telling you earlier, I'd rather be uh, hitting with the bases loaded in the bottom of the ninth inning in the seventh game of the World Series and all of it on my shoulders uh, than to be standing up in front of so many people and having to speak. I don't have a speech at all. I didn't want one. I went, oh no, I, I, I want to be me. You're listening to Center Court with Hall of Famer Ralph Sampson. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation. Welcome back to Center Court on the Winner's Circle Network. The outstanding Terry Pendleton is with us who, boy, he could dance around third base, Ralph. And Terry, after getting your first coaching job in November 01, you became the hitting coach of the Atlanta Braves. Did you have a certain philosophy in working with players? Well, for me, it was, I'm going to take what at that time I had Andrew Jones, Chipper Jones. I had a few guys that could hit. They knew how to hit. And I had some guys that could mm-hmm. hit that were young that, that were kind of feeling their way through it. But my, my philosophy, philosophy, excuse me, was always to take that hitter, take what he has and make it better. I'm not going to walk in the door and try to change a guy from what he's used to doing. Mm -hmm. You may be able to look at him and say, okay, he's doing this, but when he struggles, this is why he struggles. So I got to keep him from struggling. When when I see him getting to that point, I got to pull him in and say, Hey, hey, you're starting to do this. Let's get back to this. So for me, it was taking what a guy has and making it better, taking what he has and tweaking it because hitting for most guys is you got to have a comfort zone. You got to be strong and, and have a comfort and an and idea and confidence in what you're about to do. And for me, if I can find a guy that he's, he's confident and he's been doing what he's been doing, but he needs some tweaking, that is the best way to do it instead of trying to take a guy, tear him down and build him up again. So for me, it was taking each one of these guys, taking what they already had and assisting them in making it better because they were in the big leagues because of what they had, not because – of us trying to tear them down and make them something else. And that's why we drafted them because of what they had. Mm-hmm. Can, can you tell as a player playing with your teammates when a guy was ready to play 
before the game, before the, 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 the game. I mean, I could tell, or Brian, I could tell when he was lathered up and ready to go, but also mm-hmm. can you tell the young players as you coach, the ones that can be good and are ready to play that night? Is there a difference in, in, in the ability to do it as a player or as a coach? Yeah, as, as a player, there were certain guys you could tell. You could tell when they needed a kick in the butt. You could tell right. when they had something else on their mind. There were different players. You could tell that. You know, um, most of the guys can bring can get to the ballpark and separate life from the ballpark. Right. You know, you could have 12 things going on off the field. But once you hit that door, that ballpark, walk in that clubhouse, yeah. all that's turned off, baby. It's about this right here. Um, in the minor leagues, the kids will try to fool you. <laughs> and really they're trying to fool themselves and right say, okay i'm ready for this i'm ready for this and i will they know me already i mess with them all you know i walk up there and say hey this big left-hander got something for your rear end tonight are you ready for- oh yeah i'm ready, I'm ready. <laughs> hey i said you can tell me all you want but we're gonna find out in an hour or so exactly exactly <laughs> my deal is i'll tell them listen i've been where you're headed so you can't fool me with anything the best thing for you to do is be real with me so I can assist you in being better if I possibly could, possibly can. So if there's something that's on your mind, on your heart, in your head that you're unsure of, let's talk about it, get it out of the way so you can be clear-minded when you step on that baseball field. What was so special about Brian Snitker then? And I know you talked about going to the ballpark and you really enjoyed him, but this this particular team and managing this particular club that, that won it all last week, what was what was so special about Brian Snicker? First of all, if you're watching the playoffs in the World Series, did you see the look on his face? Mm, never it changed. Never, it never changed. Unless if a guy hit a three-run homer or a guy just walked two guys or a guy just made an error, it never changed. He stayed on an even keel, and that's what helped him as a manager. Um, his teammates, his players knew that. His players knew they had. he had their back. He wasn't going to get too high or too low on any of them. He was going to let them know if they did something crazy, call them in and let them know that, hey, we're back on track, let's get going. But he always had their backs, no matter what happened. If they didn't play well, he had their back. If they played well, he he was always on that even keel. He's going to let you go out and play the game, let your ability, you guys have all worked to get yourselves ready for this thing. We know you're ready for it. Just go out and play. A lot of guys want to dictate inning by inning and, and and game by game, how they want to act or gonna act. Ryan Snicker is never that way. You're gonna get the same person every single day. He may get upset about something, but if he does, it's probably at that umpire. It's not gonna be at his kids. It's gonna be that umpire. And if he ever does get upset at this player, you won't know about it. He'll go in that office and they'll straighten it out and they'll walk out of the office and everything will be back to square one and it'll never be in a newspaper. That is the biggest thing about him. And the kids know that and they'll run through a wall for him. Yeah, that's a good manager right there. I mean, over the years, I mean, I, I can remember the, you know, the Bobby Cox day and, oh, yeah. you know, the Tommy Lasorda day, whatever. Those are rare <laughs> managers that, that you come across once in a lifetime and they are very special. And I think this guy now, his career has been very special and I'm glad he won a, a World Series there because I think he deserved that. No doubt whatsoever. No doubt about it. He worked very hard. And like you said, 40 years, 45, something like that in our, in yes. our organization and spent uh, 30 of them plus in the minor leagues. Yes. He understands it. He knows what it's all about down there and he understands it at the big league level. So if Terry Pendleton gets the call after our show today, say, hey, <laughs> hey, Terry, we to do we, what? We, we, want you, we want you to manage our ball club. We want you, would Terry Pendleton wear that hat? Oh, that would be a tough one there. Um, 
I would seriously consider because it was something after I got done playing the game. And even as a coach, I would have loved the challenge of doing. Mm. I think I work very well with, with young men, with men, with people in general. So I think I, I could possibly be good at it. I don't, if anybody knows me, I never toot my own horn because I know how difficult it'd be to be a player, to be a coach, sure. and definitely to be a manager. But I would take it on. But here's the one thing I will tell you. The Atlanta Braves have a good one in Brian Snicker. In fact, mm. in 2016, after the season was over, I was, I was interviewing for the managerial job, the, for the same job Brian has. And I was his bench coach at the time after the 16th season. And I walked right upstairs to sit down for my interview. And the general manager and the player baseball operations are sitting right across the three, three feet from me. Mm-hmm. And I looked them both in the eyes. And I said, before we even get this interview started, Brian Snicker deserves the opportunity to manage this ball club next wow. year. How about that? Okay, let's start the interview. Wow. That is amazing. That's a great story. He, he deserved it. He won it. And I think, you know, that you, you, I mean, you, you, you're the father of the Braves and all the guys that ever played there. I mean, everybody cannot just be that way in a, in, a, in a franchise. But the Braves is one of those iconic franchises in sports. You know, you got the Celtics, you got the Lakers, you got the Dodgers. But on the East Coast, the Yankees, whatever, okay, great, they won it, whatever. But the, but the, the Braves is a different feel. Living there is a different feel than L.A. or New York, where it's much more of a community feel to me in Atlanta than it is anywhere else. Yeah, well, it, it's, uh, you know, because the big city of New York and the big city of L.A., you know, we're almost like, uh, although Atlanta is a big city, as you know it, we're almost like blue collar workers here trying yeah, to get yeah, that. It's, you know? it's special. And we don't mind that. We don't mind that. You can call us what we want. We're battling to get after you. That's all. The outcome may not be the way we want it, but you're going to know you've been in a fight. I can tell you that. There you sure. go. There you go. There you go. Uh, Terry, I love, I love listening to your philosophy. And you said a minute ago about the only place Snitger would get mad is are the boys in blue. Do you have an umpire philosophy? Is there, a, is there a philosophy or a written, maybe an unwritten rule on how to handle the boys in blue? No, there isn't. Believe me, it's a, it's, it's a mental thing. There, there are certain umpires that I've dealt with over the years that you could say things to them and they would take it and respect it because they know they screwed up. And then there were guys that knew they screwed up and were got irritated and mad at you because you reminded them that they screwed up <laughs> and then there were guys you 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 know there's an umpire that's still umpiring in the game I won't mention the name because I don't want to put him out there <laughs> but but I but I literally got on his rear and I mean big time he I was coaching first base mm-hmm. and he was um, umpiring at first base and he made a horrible call and it was before instant replay horrible call and I told him I said listen you know what? You're terrible. You're absolutely <laughs> terrible. I said, you don't even care about this game. You don't even care that you screwed up the call. And he turned around and looked at me and he goes, you know what? You're right. I don't care. Wow. And I was wow. Like, so I asked him, well, what are you doing out here if you don't care? Exactly. He, oh, he ain't going to answer that. He ain't no, no, he's going to he 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 turn his head the other way. Yes, uh, but, but there are different stuff. guys you can talk to. There are guys that you can get back on, but in this day and age, you can't do any of that. My day, you could you could talk to the umpires, you could talk right. back to them, you could take it to a certain level, and you knew if you went across that, you were going to be taught. Right. I had to leave a few games because I got on a few guys and told them what I thought of them being rookies and the whole deal at certain times. So I deserve. Uh, well, I got caught for one game. <laughs> I didn't deserve, but my ejections were were. They were warned. They were warranted. You got all you needed. Yes, sir. Now, now, the only question I know we got to wrap up is, but 
in the NBA, when we got technical foul check, we got fine. It gets fine in baseball. <laughs> oh, absolutely. It depends. Okay. It depends. Now that umpire has to write it up. If he writes it up and sends it in, you can believe there's a you're gonna get a letter. All from right, all right. Terry, yeah. thank you so very much. Uh, such a pleasure. Congratulations to you and the city and. And, you know, there's a lot of Terry Pendleton input and a lot of Terry Pendleton fans still out there. So thank you so much for spending a yes. few minutes with us. Enjoy right. the offseason. You guys take care. You guys have a great Appreciate it. Winter. Thanks. Thanks thank so much. Guys. I'll be in touch. All right. Baseball's 1991 MVP, Terry Pendleton. Oh, love the conversation. Ralph and I return right after this. The mission for the Samson Family Foundation is simple. We strive to uplift, empower, and educate the communities we live in. The foundation promotes charitable and community input, educational development, health and fitness, and scholarship opportunities. The Samson Family Foundation's initiatives focus on patients with cancer, educational scholarship programs, and give students guidance in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. The Samson Family Foundation encourages limitless possibilities, your financial support is tax deductible. To learn more, call 540-615-5097. The website is samsonfamilyfoundation.org. Uplift. Empower. Educate. It takes teamwork to make the dream work. Listening to Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Once again, here's Ralph and Mac. Welcome back to Center Court on the Winter Circle Network. And Ralph Terry Pendleton was—I uh, loved him. You know, it's a guy that who had the roller coaster career, but had a couple of great years with the Braves and was an excellent manager and coach. And Terry Pendleton was a player's guy. And I know he's celebrating that Braves championship from this week. I'm sure. I mean, I look back at uh, over the years with uh, you know, Smokes and the, the whole crew and, and uh, you know, living in Atlanta for over 10 years or so. I got to meet those guys and hang out with them in uh, the subdivision we lived in. But they had won that championship, you know, way before that. But I'm sure Atlanta, you know, as we all know, it's, you know, it's electrified right now. They, the city is on fire. They they are excited about the Braves and winning. And Chet Terry, I mean, what a guy, right? He's, you know, one of the iconic players in, in Braves history. Uh, and uh, thank him for being on the show as well. He's, he's a great guy. Yeah, when you think about, you know, Atlanta had just a postseason regular, but yes. they had not won a title since 95, and their last World Series was 99. So I guess I'm aging quickly because it just well, – we, we, all, we all are because, I mean, <laughs> they had smokes on the uh, on the competition, right? So yeah. they were in the playoffs like 10 years straight. They were there yeah. beating on the door to win a, a World Series, and they only won one in that period of time. So uh, now to do it 20-some years later is kind of, kind of ironic, but – what a run they had, right? Yeah, terrific run. Well, again, we'll transition back to basketball. This on the college side. It's hard to believe it. The college season is here, and we get underway this week, which, you know, Virginia, Virginia Tech, uh, JMU, I mean, these schools are will be off and running, and uh, Virginia opens with Navy, I believe, and I think uh, Virginia Tech has got – who do I remember? Oh, yeah, they've got Maine coming to town. Yeah, Maine, yeah. So, anyway, you get, you get a couple of games. What are they playing? 20 ACC games this year. Right, it's it's twenty ACC games this year. Mac, I was telling somebody earlier this week, right? So 
you know, the, I, I miss the rivalry, especially with Maryland, Virginia, mm-hmm. but also, you know, playing a team like Carolina twice. So if they beat me down there, I want you to come to my house and beat them. But 20, 20 ACC games, it's a lot of games. Uh, it was in the league. Yeah. Uh, and it's, you know, I don't know what the, uh, I mean, that's why you play a Navy and a rapper. So you want some non-conference wins under your belt before you hit the ACC uh, season, right? It's going to be exciting to watch, and I'm looking forward to it. I think, who was it? And it might have been Terry Holland or Dave Odom with the Basketball Brain Trust. And at one point, um, you know, I asked him about uh, during an interview or something, and I said, what are the most important components in a college program? And they said, well, the top three are scheduling, yeah. recruiting, and scheduling. <laughs> <laughs> On the back of scheduling twice. Yeah. yeah, scheduling, recruiting, and scheduling. The three most important, you know, and it just, because I know how, and I, I know Dave, especially being at Wake Forest, Coach Odom used to talk all the time about scheduling and how important the schedule was because of yes. what happens, not only in the ACC, but to be able to put yourself in position for the NCAA. And I've heard a lot of people say, oh, December college basketball doesn't mean anything. They're wrong. It matters. They they are wrong because December means a lot to put yourself in position for your conference schedule. Because if you have a great preseason, you go 500 in the league or maybe one or two games over, the NCAA will take an honest look at you when the 68 team uh, is released. So. But, you know, you have all those uh, uh, tournaments now, ACC, Big Big Ten. You have these big games even before you get to your freaking mm-hmm. conference conference uh, season, right? So these, I call them cupcake games, whatever. You, you pay somebody to get their tail whipped, right? <laughs> so, But you got to play those games to get your team ready for this because it's, it's, it's totally different now uh, mm-hmm. than we, when we play. But the ACC, when you start that season, it's every day, every week, every game, like it was in the past. But it's just totally different when you have to go into the season Every game counts because if right. you mess up a game early, it, it may jeopardize you to get into the NCAA tournament. Well, check your batteries in your remote control. It's going to be that kind of week with college football still going on. So, Ralph, have a good week, and I will see you next week, I promise. Absolutely. I'll be here. That's Ralph Sampson. I'm Mac McDonald, and that's Center Court on the Winter Circle Network. You've been listening to Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Our podcast is available on the Believe Network at BLEAV.com. Center Court is presented by the Winter Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation. For more information, log on to SampsonFamilyFoundation.org. Uplift, empower, educate. Teamwork makes the dream work. Welcome to another round of Drawing Board or Miro Board. Today, we talk brainstorms with UX designer Brian. Let's go. First question. You thought you'd see everyone's idea in the team brainstorm, but you've got a grand total of one. Drawing Board or Miro Board? Drawing Board, right? Because in Miro, the team can add ideas now or later. And with privacy mode, we can keep them anonymous until they're good to share. Correct. Next, you need the best way to explain your idea, but all you have is a few sticky notes. Drawing board or Miro board? Drawing board, because, you know, in Miro, I could record videos, add text, images, links, and digital sticky notes, of course. Present my thoughts the way I want. Right again! Now, 
You're looking for a past idea you thought was just genius. Only you could find... Oh, there it is. Drawing board or... Miro. Our finished and unfinished work lives in one place. And he's one. Join over 60 million people getting ideas noticed in Miro brainstorms. Get your first three boards for free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.